Right, well, welcome to another episode of Under the Bar Podcast. A program. My name is Tom Hewitt. With me, as always, is Rodan Dubois. Uh, g'day, Tom. And we've got uh, Cam Menegoni, the Wookiee. The Wookiee. Uh, pressing <coughs> various buttons. I mean, we haven't had one for a while. <coughs> Cam, have you got one? <laughs> Next, Next week. week. Okay. So you can't put him on the spotlight. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Now, to start, we've got a lot to get through, Rawdon, but to start the show, just interesting little experiment we're going to do here. So yes. I was poking around our listener stats the other day for mm. various reasons. The hundreds and hundreds of thousands of listeners we've had. Now, top 10 cities around the world oh. that, that listen. So top 10, uh, number 10 is Dubai. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice like Dubois. Dubai. That's the connection there. there. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Thanks very much, everyone in the uh, United Well, we've got Paul Arab Shannon Emirates. and uh, Douglas over there. So, okay, boys. But you wait. N- number nine is Dublin in oh, Ireland. Interesting. Well, I mean, the, the ISI, Owen Lacey, those yeah. guys are over there. Maybe yeah. they, they think we're a, you know, a patch on those guys, maybe. I don't know. Come on. They're smarter than that, surely. <laughs> um, right, number, number eight, Singapore. Well, we got uh, Melvin. Melvin, yeah. Remember little Melvin? Yes, came Melvin. Out to the, to yep. the uh, where we <laughs> where we used to work. Yeah, Melvin. Uh, came out, lovely guy. Yep. Yeah, okay. And, of course, the UP are over there. I think yeah. uh, John Bond is uh, is back over around Singapore at the moment. Number seven. I'm not sure if I'll pronounce this correctly, but it's Trondheim. Trondheim in Norway. Ah. Well, Hensel Menish, maybe. He's over. Maybe. From over that way somewhere. Okay. Six. The Perth. Netherlands, I think. Perth. Perth. I don't okay. know where that is. So we start, we start getting to yep. it. Five is London. Okay. Which is cool. Four is Brisbane. Yep. Three, Melbourne. Okay. And so we're, 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 this is yeah, making sense Yeah, they're now. all going to be in Australia. Sydney's got to be up there. This is we're making sense. Top two running yeah. out of, what, Darwin or yeah. something? Or so I'm going go to go to number one. Tassie. Number one first is Sydney. Yeah. Okay. So, Thanks, guys. Yeah. So, so two. Tassie. Tassie, Hobart, Hobart, um, Darwin, Darwin. Well, I, I got it. Auckland, <laughs> New Zealand. It's I don't know why, Rawdon, but we'll chuck it out there. Ashburn in Virginia, United States. I, what? I, I, I don't know. But we did have a bit of a sniff around. So this is so we, yeah. it's not far. It's a stone's throw from uh, Delaware, from Brodders. Yeah. yeah, we're not far from Delaware. But if anyone who's listening in Ashburn. Perhaps you could... Uh, Maybe there's this one guy that's just, just OCD. <laughs> yeah. Touch of the hamburger yeah. syndrome. Just yeah. download, 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 download. Maybe someone's put his coffee cup on the download button yeah. and it's just constantly downloading. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. It wouldn't actually be... You know, but if there's anyone from Ashburn who uh, can just maybe fill shed in, some light, fill in some blanks for us, mm. maybe even drop us a speak pipe. Yeah, Go to the, that's uh, still functioning. <laughs> that's still no functioning. one's used it for a while. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. It disappears. The ghost. But uh, yeah, I mean, there we have it. That's so, amazing. But look, thanks to everyone who does listen. But mm. uh, it'd be nice to hear from someone in Ashburn. Mm. Now, Rawdon, you mentioned Brothers at Delaware. There. Yep. Yeah, in Delaware. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we do have his. Um, Outstanding online product the Evil Genius. from the Evil Genius seminar when he came uh, down to Australia. Toured with the guys from uh, Queensland. That's exactly Flex. right. Flex success. So you can go to Evil Genius Down Under. 
freebeast.com and mm-hmm. uh, get access to actually a free module yeah. of this. Freebie still going? Yeah, of this program. It's well structured, well laid out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, lots of topics. What we're actually going to do, we're going to play another little segment. Mm-hmm. Um, Wet the appetite. Now, we have heard Brodus talk about growth hormone in the past, mm-hmm. but it's complicated. And you can certainly, you know, you'll get benefit out of listening yep. to this multiple time times. Time and time again, yeah. And it has some relevance to uh, Rudin, someone that you know. Uh, yeah. He's a good mate. Good, good mate of He's yours. A good mate. Uh, a man close He's to your He's a bit of a rat bag. <laughs> he likes the, uh, the uh, dating platforms. Uh, yeah, right. Not shy of using those, yeah. but slightly older, a bit older than myself in, in my late uh, 20 or late 30s now. <coughs> but he's had some experience with growth hormone. So why don't we play this little excerpt from Brodders, then mm-hmm. we'll come back and we can deconstruct, and maybe yep. you can give some first-hand uh, ex- well. experience. 90 minutes post-sleep, your body has a the largest release or typically the largest release of growth hormone. You get this dump of growth hormone into the blood. All day long, you've had the carbohydrates, the insulin, the elevation and binding proteins. Growth hormone itself actually doesn't do a bunch of growth, almost none. As a matter of fact, it even used to have a different name, didn't have growth in it. It used to be called somatropic hormone, STH. So somatropic hormone enters your bloodstream and it does a lot of preparation work. One of the things it does is it goes to satellite and stem cells and prepares the nucleus to donate nuclear material. Complicated biology, but the short answer is it makes muscle cells prepared to grow. That's, okay, does that. We can delve into that, how it does that, the myonucleation, the cell signaling, the donation preparation, protein folding, the upregulation of ribosomes. It's all very complicated, but short answer is it does that. It gets cells ready to grow, not make them grow, get them ready to grow. Secondarily, growth, as we talked about with the hypertrophy and the dieting into the bodybuilding show and all that, growth is a very, very energy intensive process, particularly on the proximal scale. So, growth hormone also causes a release of glucagon, which is a hormone that operates opposite insulin and goes and gets the stored sugar that insulin did all its stuff and dumps it back into the blood. That's why you get the elevation of blood sugar and growth hormone does in fact cause a systemic long-term elevation in blood sugar. That's good because blood sugar is fuel, growth, fuel intensive. It's all coming together, starting to make sense, folks. Secondarily, growth hormone produces the release of the pancreas to release lipase. Lipase then goes forth, finds stored fat in adipose tissue, liberates it, dumps it into the blood. Now your blood triglycerides go up. So now you have a very energy-dense blood, okay? and cells are prepared to grow. Now, as the blood sugar goes up, secondarily and completely independently, the body recognizes blood sugar is going up again. Pancreas releases insulin to moderate blood sugar. So now you've got high energy in the blood, prepared cells, a delivery of growth or of insulin. Now, finally, about 120 minutes have passed since all this began. Growth hormone gets to the liver, It's 191 amino acid polypeptide. It's a big complicated protein. It's a word with 191 letters. Think of it that way. Gets to the liver. The liver breaks it down in the presence of estrogen. That's important. We talked about how that is. I'm not the super expert on estrogen, but there's a place where it's really important outside of cardiovascular health. And in the presence of insulin, this growth hormone gets broken down, reorganized into something called somatomedins. That's the big heading. Of them, IGF-1, MGF, 
there's all the IGF-2, there's a whole, but there's a slew of necrotic tumor factor there. It goes on and on. There's literally hundreds of them. I'm not exaggerating. But the one we'll focus on here is IGF-1. So in the presence of the insulin and the estrogen, the growth hormone turns into code for the liver does a lot of complicated cartwheels that none of us understand. Out the back of the liver comes IGF-1. IGF-1 now goes forth into the bloodstream and it finds those pre-prepared cells with the myonuclear donation, the stem cell upregulation, all that. IGF-1 acts there, precipitates this growth and myofibril thickening and the muscle growth, and it's fueled by that previous dump of energy, glucose, and fatty acids. And that's the whole life cycle of growth hormone with one caveat. I mentioned over and over the insulin binding proteins. It just so happens that IGF-1 is structurally so similar to insulin, actually why they changed the name from somatobedin C back in the 70s to insulin-like growth factor is because it is very insulin-like and it can actually bind to the insulin binding protein. So the high carbohydrate, high insulin diet raises your binding proteins. Some of that growth hormone or IGF-1 made in that momentary growth hormone cycle binds to the binding protein and it's now in storage, it's in uh, time release. And now you do this day after day consistently, you actually get a reservoir of growth hormone in storage, and then these binding proteins decay at natural protein decay rate, something called protein turnover rate. And about every seven to 14 days, those binding proteins die, dribbling out a little bit of IGF-1, even when you don't have a growth hormone release. And if you eat enough carbs, take enough insulin, make enough growth hormone or buy enough growth hormone, eventually, day after day after day, you'll get to a point where you have a constant, unending, unyielding sprinkling of really sexy IGF-1 dumping into your bloodstream, just making you grow. Well, there you have it, Rod. Mm. I mean, we've listened mm. to Brods talk about growth hormone a number of times, mm. and I, I still pick up something, a little yeah. nuance or something every time I listen to it, and that's the, I think, the beauty of this product mm. moving forward yeah. is that it, it's a... A lifetime compendium it, to go back and refer mate, it's, to. It, it's the it's the product that keeps on giving. giving yeah, yeah. I, I picked up then. Uh, IGF ones are sexy. I want to be sexy. I want IGF ones floating around in my yeah. bloodstream. What I picked up also related to the IGF one. Mm. Uh, I had the you know the growth hormone doesn't do growth. It releases energy at one end mm -hmm, and then it mm -hmm. prepares cells for growth in the other end. Yeah. But then it's that funky stuff that goes on in the liver that produces yep. the IGF-1 that yep. precipitates the growth that the energy from the bloodstream is there to support. Nice. It's, it's, it's all coming together now. Yeah. It's all coming together. Now, we mentioned that someone, <coughs> uh, a friend of the podcast, have mm. uh, never actually been in here, of course, no one no. that's... Uh, no one that anyone out, uh, any of our listeners would know. No, but um, and look, someone of a of an older, uh, you know, a, a, a generations past gone. You know, I mean, yeah. he, he, this chap's a little in his forties. In his forties, not yeah. in his late twenties, like myself, uh, Tom. No, that's right. Who has recently been experimenting with? Well, he, he apparently does a lot of that experimenting with his uh, philosophy. More is better. Yes, you know. Yes, more is better, but. Uh, yeah, look, I, I had a good conversation with him. Yep. And uh, he hasn't stepped foot in the uh, Millennium Noggin, I'll have you know, Tom. Don't look at me like that. He, he's never been in here. No, he hasn't. He's not, a, he's not a coach that we've interviewed. No, I, I don't actually know him. No. Uh, in person. Elusive. Yeah, very elusive. Very elusive. elusive. Like his website. Yeah. Apparently he's got an elusive <laughs> website. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he, 
uh, yeah. he, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, so he, um, I think he's been uh, delving in a little bit of uh, anti-aging type things, being yep. uh, of that. Like I said, that that, that age a, a, aging population, you know, yeah. they're forty plus, mm-hmm. you know, downhill from once you hit that. But uh, but yeah, just the he um <laughs> he he he's uh, so so sleep. Uh, first first thing is probably no. So utilizing a therapeutic dose of growth hormone. Yeah, so right. low, low dose. Yeah, it's yep. not super physiological do- uh, doses that um, you'd probably see, uh, you know, in a bodybuilding style uh, supplementation uh, yep. uh, 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 program, but uh, therapeutic. So similar to what you'd get from an anti aging clinic, uh, I guess. Yep. First thing I, I think was uh, well, probably the first thing was an increase in scale weight. So there was there was probably a couple of kilos in scale weight that. And and everything just a, just a little fuller, you know. Like um, I think Brodas explained that there there is just a, a bit of fluid retention that's associated with the with the with the use of the growth hormone. But um, but that was within a few days. The, the the body weight went up a kilo and a half or so. Okay. The other thing that he uh, apparently noticed was the uh, carpal tunnel, like a uh, tingling in the in in the really in the arms. Yes. So it sort of starts from the uh, the elbow. Like I'm pointing at my arm here. But just as this an just example. That's yeah. an example that as of he was course. describing to me. But yes. uh, repeatedly, you know when you sleep on your arm and it, and it yes. goes a little dead and get the pins yes. and needles and you got to sort of shake your hand and, yep. and, and get a bit of blood back in there. It sort of uh, feels like that periodically um, throughout the day. Usually mm. um, uh, he reportedly administered it at night, pre-bed. Yep. And um, in the morning especially, it noticed the, uh, the carpal tunnel-like uh, symptoms. And apparently I spoke to Brods about it and... Apparently, there's like a sort of like a disc of tissue that all yes. your tendons and nerves go through near, in, in the wrist there, and that's yep. the the fluid, this fluid retention throughout the body, sort of closes the the play in the uh, yeah. where the tendons and, right. and, and nerves would normally run through. So it's sort of like crimping them a little bit. Yep. Um, and that and that can be a quite a common yeah consequence of it, the it, of the growth hormone. Yeah, yep. apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite a uh, quite a strange sort of pain in the this this annoying tingling and particularly yep. bad if you have your elbows so apparently this guy spends a lot of time on the laptop right working and and so <laughs> yes. if you're there on the laptop twiddling away yes you know three or four minutes then shake the hands out and then okay. you know go in another five ten minutes shake them out like it's quite a uh to be honest it's quite an annoying part of the he, he said it was quite an annoying part of the process as yeah. much as uh he you know, they did get that initial um, scale weight, scale weight increase, tick in the box. That's which great. Is, but a little well, bit of, it, yeah. if that's your thing, the, uh, the sleep uh, seemed to improve. So a little deeper in, uh, he said he was sleeping a little better, waking yeah. up a little more, a little more ref- uh, refreshed momentarily. But then through the day, he reports quite tired, like um, yes. uh, the need for a nap here and there at, at every opportunity. So much product- like a toddler. Yeah, apparently. As they, that's, as they that's grow the and they play and they sleep and then they grow and they play and yeah. they sleep and, and I, there's a lot of growth hormone. Exactly. Yeah. I spoke to Broads about that and it was like, yeah, look, I mean, there's there's a lot of growth going on. You know, the tissue, uh, you know, hair, skin, nails, like it's, it's it's systemic. So that uh, tends to, um, you know, be quite draining. Yes. So it's that very good well. of you to talk to Broads on behalf of your, of yeah. your friend. Yeah. I do that, Tom. Yeah. That's, like, that's uh, above kind. and beyond. Yep. Above and beyond, you know. Yep. Um, so that apparently is again can be can be associated with that, but and and I suppose a general feeling of well being. You generally feel a little bit more the spring in your step. Um, well, that's good. And then uh, a little leaner through the midsection, I would say. Interesting. Um, was there anything he said? He increased his food a little, and the result was a slightly leaner 
particularly through the midsection, but just all over a little, little bit leaner. So utilizing, I guess, calories, maybe the burden of that growth systemically yes. is, is chewing up a, some of those calories because like Broad said, it's going to liberate that energy. Yeah. But by the looks of it, it's, it's going to good use. But uh, yeah, so it's, er, early it's, days. So a little bit more energy coming into the body, but then mm. there's also the releasing of stored energy that mm. the growth hormone's causing, but it's been sent to a useful place to facilitate that growth. So I, I, I would assume so, yeah. That must be what's going on for this person. That's yeah. uh, great news for him. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass it on to him. Yeah. Uh, I mean... And yeah. look, when I'm in my 40s, you know, I might even contemplate that as well. Well, you've you know? got a mentor now. Yeah, yeah. I have. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But that was my, that was, uh, sorry, that was his experience with, uh, with, with that side of things. But, uh, well, we'll wait keep and you see. posted, mate. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Well, mate, it's so funny. what's your scenario? Well, yeah, I've so been um, basically 12 weeks, when I started this, it was 12 weeks out from the next cricket season. Yep. And my shoulder, which I tore the glenohumeral ligament down in Melbourne that time yeah, at the Fitness yeah, Expo. Yeah, yeah. Really um, took the wind out. Yeah, that one, I didn't, didn't, didn't enjoy that one. That was in 2015, I think it was. Yeah. Um, fine to do everything I need to do in the gym, but uh, as I was told at the time, from a sports performance perspective, if you want to be able to do all the things you previously did, you'd probably need to get the operation. Mm-hmm. Didn't really want to do that. Anyway, all uh, able to do everything I want in the gym, but I can't throw and bowl. Well, you can, but it inflames and, and just, irritates Well, it I or? just can't hit a match intensity. So I can roll the arm over, and they, yeah, that's okay, but I can't actually go out into a game and bowl because as soon as it's in a game, there's this extra little thing that I do, yep. and when I do that, it's... And then pain for like... Oh, horrifics. Yeah, yeah, horrifics. So, 12 weeks out from the next cricket season, or a little less now, but I started a protocol of... TB500, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. basically the peptide compound of the thymus and beta-4. And uh, I think, did uh, Jean, yes. why did he talk about that? He when? did. So for those listeners who we in more detail, episode 84 with Jean-Francois Tremblay, which yeah. is quite recent, and then all JF, the way back, yeah. um, episode 37 with Salim Satir. Ah, yes, Salim. They both referenced the TB500. Jean-Francois, JF in particular, yeah. spoke about the TB500 for injury repair. Yes. Um, yes, so you can find out more information okay, cool, there. cool, cool, cool. So went through one of the reputable clinics, yep. uh, filled out the form, ordered the product, and basically I am taking, or the prescribed dosage was... 1500 micrograms per day mm-hmm. divided across two 750 microgram injections one in the morning one in the night okay and i had um you know what i'm like with needles and stuff like that mate yeah. so i had uh, dr vinesh singh yep. up at the gym he uh, he showed me how to do it and it made mm. very very simple mm. it's a subcutaneous injection put that one in there <laughs> and i <laughs> The funny thing is, I'm actually quite enjoying injecting myself. <laughs> Everyone block your ears. This is certainly not a... And we're not saying do what we're, you know, we're, we're doing or anything like that. You know, go through the peptide clinics or yeah, doctors yeah. and stuff. You go online, you make an order. Uh, well, you fill out a form, which gets approved yep. by a doctor. Yep. Order the product. Yep. A few days later, it arrives in a little cool bag with yep. various yep. vials yep. and a yep. million bloody syringes and <laughs> alcohol wipes and what have you. Mm. And then you just, you know, you draw out. Basically, and I'm taking, so two injections a day, and it's a 30-day protocol. Okay. So right. I'm on day, I think, 11 or 12 now. So Bas- what's, uh, so how, how, talk to me, what, what's been happening? Well, look, I had, it's an interesting scenario, Rodan, because generally speaking, my shoulder feels quite good. Yep. I can press and pull and do various things in the gym. It's, it's just, it's just when I go to bowl. Yep. 
and I was talking to Brods about this, and basically the the, the TB500 or the, the thymus and beta-4, the actual chain of amino acids, yep. um, it has a very light molecular weight. Mm-hmm. So it travels through tissue and blood very easily. And it will go and it will sort of do its magic at places of most inflammation right. or most injury. So what I had to do was actually go and inflame my shoulder so that I could centralize as much of yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And, the TB500 and, 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 and facilitate repair. Yep. So before I actually started the protocol... Partition it towards the injury. Absolutely. I uh, went down to the cricket nets and basically bowled as effectively as I could do and tried to inflame it and cause as much damage as I could. And was that sort of quite a painful... Did you feel it like it was noteworthy? It's like, ooh, I've done it good this time. Yeah, it was definitely definitely inflamed. Because that's the thing, I would assume, don't injure yourself but inflate like irritate a little yeah. so there's a, there's a fine line probably yeah there was a bit of a fine line and it was interesting because it's not just the shoulder but you know like hadn't bowled for a while so I took a bit of skin off my finger yeah. the front knee that I pivoted yeah. over that was all sore the front hip was a bit sore so there were a few things going on and then I've started the protocol and what I've found since then Rawdon what's been most effective is I've started to titrate bowling up a yep. little bit to a point where I can actually bowl at a higher intensity and so last week I bowled 16 overs and the last six of those were at a full match intensity. So it's the first time that I've been able to bowl at that level for, mm. you know, at least three or four years. Wow. And, and I was very inflamed after that, like it was sore. So I doubled the dosage of the TB500 for the well, next... more is better. More is always better for the uh-huh, next three uh-huh. days and pulled up really, really well. So I actually think the process of inflaming the joint uh, and not just the shoulder like i said the knee and the hip and all that kind of stuff putting the body through the stress of that action Mm -hmm. titrating the ability of me to do more of that yes and then doubling up the dose of the actual healing compound the tb500 has been really effective and 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 i'm I'm confident i'll be good to go for the season for sure and and it's the type of thing and correct me if i'm wrong from memory i think the guys were saying it's the type of thing that you 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 would use and that's it. It's done. It's not something that you have to keep doing. It does its magic. No doubt, lots of sexy TB500 things going on for yep. a duration afterwards. Like it, it's sort of almost like a treatment. It's like do the treatment, then you're done, then you'll be good for till next season. Yep. Next season, you know, if, if it's still problematic. Yeah, look, I think that was the case. The, the original protocol was a 30-day, you know, two injections a day, 1,500 micrograms per day for 30 days. Mm-hmm. I probably shortened that 30-day window because I've doubled up dosages around the bowling bouts. Yep. But, yes, I think that should be enough to carry it through for a period of time, although I'm quite enjoying also <laughs> just training a little better, feeling a little freer through the knees and the hips and all that kind of stuff so i envisage that potentially throughout the season it might be nice to have a little bit on standby <laughs> just in the fridge yeah. you know just say on a saturday we are bowling and i bowl a lot of overs in a match and pull yeah. up sore yeah. still want to get some effective training yeah. in the next week it might be nice just to you know chuck a couple uh, of thousand micrograms in there and now, now tom it always starts like this <laughs> yes. you know you're always yeah. like I, I, I just want to use it once yeah i just want to yeah. see how much mass i can get just with that one cycle and then then next thing you know, you you know you're doing the same as a pro bodybuilder. But yeah. yeah, I'm hearing you. So fascinating. Uh, All right, yeah. well, watch this space. So it's certainly been a positive experience, and for anyone out there who did have injury concerns, I can food for y- thought. You know, I can recommend it as a useful tool. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, and there's plenty of clinics that you can actually uh, go to and uh, get yep. you know these, these protocols done. Yep. So yep. yeah, interesting. We'll keep us updated on that one we'll as well. We'll keep tabs on that one as well. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So uh, so that's that uh, from that end. Uh, once again, EvilGeniusDownUnder.com yep. if you're interested in a free sample of that awesome product. Right, Coach Carter. 
part two coming part up very, two. very shortly, Rawdon. Exciting. Um, we're going to pick that up. He's going to talk about fiber, whole foods, gut management, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. gluten, estrogen, dairy, plant proteins. That's a little bit dairy. Yeah, a whole heap of things, which we... It uh, covers quite a bit, doesn't yeah, it, Yeah, and some great feedback a- from uh, episode one as yeah, well. Yeah, I knew it, he would. Cam will have a sting. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about the gut. Maybe dispel a few, uh, from your perspective, anyway, a few myths and misconceptions out there. What about um, your thoughts on fiber as a supplement in regards to do you like, because there are those that suggest, you know, getting all our fiber from nutritional food choices like supplemental fiber it just doesn't offer the same bang for the buck and it's and it's often it's not well received uh depending on what fiber you choose obviously but your thoughts on that and and also uh, might lump resistant starch in there where there there is validity in um you know a bit of uh, tapioca flour a bit of potato starch um you know uh, in some water at, at a certain time throughout the day uh, fiber gut health supplemental fiber or whole food fiber what what's your go-to and recommendations there mate always whole food yeah you know? I, i'd much rather get the whole food in because it, it contains this this matrix of nutrients which we we can't even properly replicate in supplemental form mm. you know so why take fiber when you could have fiber plus other things you know yeah. um so i'm always a big big fan of that just getting it in through the, the vegetables and keeping it diverse you know and it, and it, it, it stops people from developing this this poor psychological link to food as well. Because if you're saying, oh well, you don't need you don't need vegetables, you don't need food, take this fiber. Mm. Well, how are they going to perceive vegetables? I want them to think, well, vegetables are fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, I want them to eat as much vegetables as they can because it's not just about fiber; it's about all the different nutrients within that. Definitely. Okay, so. That, that's a bump for the supplemental fiber. Change your plans if you do more veggies. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the challenge is there, Jake, is when you're dealing with an individual who's developed these gut problems through bad habits that have been well solidified and, and a lot of... Because when people, you know, the amount of veggies that we really should be eating, is mm. it's a large amount mm. compared to what most people are consuming. So I guess you have to start addressing some behavioral change in, in along the way as well. Yeah, that's the thing, right? It's not just about doing a gut health or gut, gut repair. First of all, I think it's more gut management, right? Because yeah. we can never have optimal gut health mm. in this modern day what we live, just from the stress what we're exposed to, you know. Um, but it's about that education and making them uh, be aware and in the know of what they should and shouldn't consume. So as, as, as much as they can do themselves, I would love that, you know, because it's about the, the long term for this individual. It's not about, right, let's get your gut sorted and forget about it. No, I want them to actually understand and care for it long term. Okay, absolutely awesome, and I'm completely on board with that one. Now let's uh, let's tackle the let's put Jake on the spot, mate, and, and, and tackle the elephant in the room, Tommy. Let's yes. get let's get it. now gluten. Let, let, let's go there, and uh, yes. we'll throw dairy in there as well. Maybe give us your perspective on those two things. You know, once upon a time, gluten was the devil. You know, cross your fingers, yeah, get away from me. You know, anything with gluten in it. But now it's like, eh, it's not so bad. It doesn't do this, doesn't do that. And then now it's sort of for, for my from the outside looking in, and then it's back into, you know, it's popular to avoid gluten again. From your perspective, from what you know in the research, pros cons. Can some have it, or is it general blanket? across the board it just should be something uh you should avoid altogether or small amounts it's okay or it's a small amount little tiny molecule gonna irritate you potentially for for weeks on end like give us a bit of an overview on on your thoughts on gluten as a whole 
Sure. Well, I actually avoid it, and I recommend people to avoid it. So if there's a risk that it could cause an issue, why take that risk, right? But that's not saying that I'm a food Nazi. Like, if someone wants to have some gluten, then have it, but understand the, what may happen to your body. So when we look at the studies, we understand that there's um, 62 different genes which get expressed at a higher level when we consume gluten. And then we could even look um, at a 60-year study, and we find that in the war, there's a remission of schizophrenia, which is actually linked to the ration of the grains. So we, we understand that it has not just effects on inflammation, but on your neurology. And then we can look at the effects of what it has on your microbiome. And we, we understand that it can actually uh, lead to more intestinal permeability. Um, and it can really dis disrupt things then. It, it stimulates the opiate receptors, right, in the brain. So these opiate receptors stimulate hunger and have this addictive tendency. This is why a lot of people, they're like, oh no, I can't give up gluten. It's because it's stimulating that 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 reward response inside their, their their brain. That's interesting. So let's take uh, reward response away. Gut microbiome's really good. Person doesn't have a sensitivity or an, an allergy to gluten. If that you know of, that you know of. So you put the person in that can eat gluten category. Is it still causing inflammation for that individual? I really would still avoid it because when most first of all, when most people speak about gluten, they speak about gliadin. Right, but there's loads of different types of gluten. So, which gluten are they speaking about first? And again, when they say, "Are they okay?" So they're not they're not sensitive to gluten. Okay, is that them being based on their celiac, or is that how are we gauging that cell uh, yeah. that that mm. response of sensitivity? Are we looking at a cellular mechanism, or is that just our conscious awareness? Because we know that most people have this emotional disconnection between their health anyway, right? But how are they going to be able to tell what's actually happening on a cellular level? Yeah. So if, if possible, I would I, I always recommend going gluten-free. And there's, there's good alternatives to use, you know? Yeah. Like if, if you want chicken, which is crispy, use a bit of arrowroot uh, powder mm. and then bang it in the active fry and it goes crispy, you know? You've got all these different methods mm. which doesn't require gluten and you're just not placing that, that potential risk on your body. Now, yeah. I understand some people say, yeah, it's not bad, it doesn't cause issues, but there's studies which validate that it does. Yeah. So personally, yeah. for me and my clients, I recommend them not to, but if it's something what they really want to go for, then they can, because I want them to make their own choices at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I'll join in there and say, look, for any of my demographic, it is I'm working with them for a, uh, a, a said duration to get ready for a competition, so as far as I'm concerned, they can avoid it. Plenty of other food choices that they can uh, have to get the, the carbs and whatnot. So just as a, a err on the side of caution, because like you said, it could be problematic. But, you know, uh, do I tell people to avoid it, you know, 24-7? It's, it's an individual recommendation. And, and I will say one of my mentors who you'd be well aware of, Menno Henselmans, now this guy yeah. is heavily into the evidence-based research. And even he says the research does say that it, it will screw up the tight junctions in the gut and it will cause uh, the problems over time for, for, for most. So he even he... Uh, says to avoid it and like you you know you can make other food choices not to include it so yeah. you know from someone who is heavily into the research and, and wouldn't you know say anything that is not backed by uh, hard science it's uh, you know you've got, to, you've got to take note okay what yeah. about the dairy hmm. right so with, with dairy okay we've got to understand these, these farmers they want to make money right hmm. that, well 
the majority do anyway. So they inject cows with estrogen, so the cows lactate and produce more milk. But then we're drinking this concoction of xenoestrogenic antibiotic fucking cow tit milk, right? We, we, we don't want to be doing that, you know? Like, um, <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> like, why would you want to be drinking estrogen, you know? And it's not even normal estrogen. And then we look at the, 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 the level of cows which get milked. You don't just drink, okay, I'm going to have a pint of milk, and this has come from Harry, the fucking cow in the field. No, it's come from Harry and all his fucking friends. There's hundreds of different cow's milk in there, which is just a, a concoction of all these different strains and enzymatic processes of milk. And it's, it's just too hard for your body. And then we look at the majority of people uh, and they, they stop producing lactase after the age of two. After then we actually use certain bacterial strains within our gut to actually digest and assimilate. The, the milk, you know, because we, we're not breastfeeding after the age of two. Well, I hope not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, for me, it's uh, the, the, like the gluten thing, you know, look, it could be, and I'll come back to that in a second, it could be an issue, but uh, dairy for me, it's 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 just a no-go. Like, uh, I try and then I forget that it's a no-go and then I'll, you know, have a bit of whey and then even the hydrolyzed isolate seems to be problematic for me. So, I gotta. I tolerate it. The Ben and Jerry's on the weekend, custard bath occasionally. Tom, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll weather the storm that ensues. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, for me, it's a no go, Jake. It's just something that I that I can't do. Well, you, you can't cut it out. No, or? no, no. Well, yeah, yeah. Good point. Both. Uh, <laughs> both. No, yeah. like I shouldn't be. I just like it doesn't matter. Whatever way I tackle it, anything that's remotely. Uh, derived from dairy in any way, shape, or form, it just gives me uh, gives me issues. So mm. it's just something. All oh, right, yeah. Yeah. What well, What about uh, halloumi, goat's milk, this kind of stuff, Jake? Do we put that in the same basket? Again, it can have a lesser um, effect uh, in regards to someone who's sensitive. Now, uh, the, the only milk what I really condone is kefir. Um, or raw milk, you know, if you get some raw milk, then that's going to be great because that actually contains the bacteria inside it, which actually helps you break down the lactose. Uh, and obviously, uh, kefir is a fermented version. Yeah, okay. Very good, very good. And, and tell me, as far as you're aware, Jake, just to, before we move on from the, the gluten side of things, uh, you are also aware that um, of the problems that can manifest after the event because. I do notice, like, I'll have gluten, and then I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, and no, I'm good, uh, you know, rub the tummy, Oop, no problems, and then, you know, a couple of days later, my back will be a little sore, joints will be a little inflamed. Is, yeah. is, is that the way that these, and a dairy, I suppose, uh, can fall into that category as well? It might not be at that point in time. There's there's problems, but it doesn't necessarily exactly. mean it's not. Yes. Yeah, that is the case? Yeah. I mean, like, you've got your uh, um, gluten antibodies, right? And they stay vigilant within the body up to 90 days after exposure. Okay. So, so they are ready and fucking ready to charge and attack any gluten you consume within that three month period after you're consuming some. So, so you they have, can always have this delayed effect. Yeah. yeah. So you, you eat some gluten, uh, your body produces antibodies. Well and truly, well that gluten's been digested, but up to a 90 day period, there's still these antibodies floating around on attack yes. mode, on high alert, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Usually, like it's not an it's not an IgE response, right? So it's not immediate. It's more of a delayed effect, possibly through an IgG. Okay, and uh, let's uh, while we're moving on from gluten now, that's done, dusted. I got dairy, the whey protein. Is that do you find 
like myself, uh, I tend to lean towards essential aminos and I usually take the way out and I run essentials intra-training rather than taking way post. But, but usually because I, I do find that uh, most have problems with dairy like we i think you probably know the stats but i think you know it's a demographic most of us can't tolerate dairy and um and whey protein obviously dairy derived now it could be uh, you know the 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 hydrolyzed isolates that has was supposed to be lactose free but as a rule of thumb i I do take uh, the whey protein out it's not to say that that, uh, many can tolerate it thoughts on that with the whey protein that that generally you know, people have been knocking one down multiple times a day since they started training, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, yeah, I, I take that out. Yeah. And, and most people, they rely on protein, like whey protein. So um, it hasn't really got that much um, a statistical difference, increase of LBM with having a meal or the protein. But mm. that being said, I, I actually do recommend vegan-based proteins. So we've got the likes of uh, Garden of Life uh, raw meal. We have some warrior protein. Uh, and this is going to supply the body with not just protein, but a broad range of different enzymes and nutrients, which can actually assist in the health of the individual. And it, it's, it's, it's good for like uh, almost as in like if you're on the go and you go for um, a typical way, it can have an insulinogenic effect. Yeah. Whereas you go for more of the vegan proteins, generally they're, they're sweetened with stevia and they have a little bit more fiber in there naturally. So that it keeps the insulin levels better regulated too. Yeah, so Good like a, some sort of plant protein, a pea or a rice. Hemp. I mean, do you still get yeah. a, a decent enough amino acid profile with those choices? Yeah, so the, again, one study actually stated that I, I think it was um, maybe brown rice protein isolate i'll have to find it right okay so don't take my word on that one but had uh, just as good effect as a uh, whey protein isolate for stimulating muscle protein synthesis which therefore identifies that it isn't solely uh, re- related and reliable on leucine content because that's what most people believe right the most people are like oh you need the leucine you need the leucine stimulate that mTOR but it's not solely regulated by that you know there's a multitude of different functions which help stimulate that mTOR process I think also the general rule of thumb from what I, I mean, I have been balls deep in the, the muscle protein synthesis side of things and listening to various people talk about it. I think it's, a, you know, the complete amino acid profile to get, a, a, you know, a healthy uh, spectrum, generally speaking, rule of thumb type stuff. It's it's a more generous serving, whereas 20 grams of whey protein, you know, has been shown in the research to elevate MPS, you know, maximally. You know, in certain scenarios, weight train, uh, you know, 40 grams, uh, you know, will elevate it more, but the, it sort of tapers off after 20 grams. But general rule of thumb, uh, you know, with the, the plant-based proteins, just a, a more robust serving. So instead of 20, you're probably looking at about 30 grams of, of, of a vegetable. I got 40. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even 40, like Jake said. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. a more generous serve. It's looking at just the so availability. Yeah, to yeah. get enough of the amino enough acids. So yeah, yeah they're in sense. there. They're just smaller amounts of certain ones that. Yeah. In, in, in for muscle protein synthesis, okay, initiating it's one thing, but providing the the amino acids to actually be you know folded into the protein sequence and, and chucked into myofibrils, which is what we're after. We're looking at that broad spectrum of amino acids where if we have a larger, like Jake suggested, forty grams as opposed to a twenty, where whey protein you could use twenty. Yeah. You know that's where you can you can still cover your bases with a. So yeah, I think they're not to be shied away from, mm. uh, embraced, you know, certainly from the perspective Jake has, has, has pointed out, but um, but but a larger serving. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. 
Very cool. Well, I guess one of the big ones, Jake, and you sort of alluded to this at the start, is if they don't uh, present with a gut problem that, that's caused from food choices, it's probably caused from an underlying stress in the first place. And I know one of the aspects you look at in your uh, level one functional nutrition course is the regulation of the old uh, parasympathetic nervous oh, system yes. and you yeah. know, regulating that stress response. So how do you start addressing this one? Because this is quite often uh, as uh, emotional or psychological as things that you can manage practically. Okay, so yeah, I mean, this, this is a lot of uh, kind of uh, lifestyle uh, assessments which have to be done first. So we have to understand, okay, first of all, are they, is this individual going to bed before 11? And getting a good like eight hours kit because if they are then sweet if not let's let's work on addressing that because that's going to be one of the biggest fuck-ups in terms of hindering their parasympathetic response and then we have to look at okay what what is what are they like when they're eating food there's, so there's the syphilic stage of uh, digestion which is where we uh, are exposed to the aromas the smell mm. even the touch which can stimulate the HCL so are they prepping the food are they smelling the food or do they just bite and they go and quickly yam it down? Mm. And then we have to look at when they eat the food, are they sitting down mm. or and, and paying attention to it? This is why, in, you know, if you look at a lot of religion, people uh, say prayer or do gratitude before they eat. And this is going to have a good effect on their parasympathetic response. It's a change in that emotional frequency. And then we could look, right, is this person eating in their work zone where they normally eat, uh, where they normally work? You know, is it where they, they get the laptop out? out they get their phone out and they're doing emails and you know they'll sit down they'll get the plate and start eating the food because that's wrong because we we will associate their environmental stimuli to this this kind of response you know mm. so they'll be more alert instead we need to have a separate eating zone mm. to our work zone and preferably we want that work zone also separate to our sleep zone so we can make these uh, these associations to our environmental stimuli so we actually get a better response from our body and then we look at right are they being mindful when they eat? are they actually chewing it because we know that the more someone the more someone chews there's an also increased um, association with better digestion and also the more lean individuals chew more in studies and we understand chewing is going to decrease um, the risk of having food intolerances from, uh, being developed because it mixes the RNA and the DNA from the saliva in with the food and we have to look at are they, are they breathing properly to help stimulate this parasympathetic response or do they have an inverted breathing pattern so maybe some diaphragmatic breathing before the food before the consumption is going to be great you know and are they, are they are they relaxed before eating do they have to listen to any guided meditation do they have to listen to headspace or any binaural beats so it's it's largely okay. lifestyle focused here, yeah. and and we need to support that. You know, like if, if they have a large meal, we can implement practices such as su supporting their the the regulation of peristalsis, uh, because of their their if they're a high stress individual, they're going to have poor peristalsis. They're going to poor movement of the food through the small intestines. So we could do some like massages on the stomach, because we've got to take into account. Stress is largely mediated through lifestyle. So we need to look at the lifestyle and see what are causing stresses to the body. Yeah, that's really interesting and, and uh, glad that uh, made the distinction there. You know, saying grace before dinner doesn't mean that the, the big man with a white beard on the clouds mm. going to strike down and, and help you digest that meal. You're, yeah. just, you're just regulating parasympathetic mm. nervous mm. system activity. Yeah. Very yeah. good, Jake. And, and, and I think that's a good, uh, a good moment to start sort of wrapping this, this gut, gut uh, health perspective from from yourself up 
So we've got some some great uh, things to do there. You rattle off a ton of things, you know, from chewing the food, sitting down, praying. Thank you, thank Jake Rawdon and Tom for providing this podcast, <laughs> uh, all that type of stuff to help digestion. Uh, what about some some general rules of thumb? Okay, maybe they're not presenting with gut health, but let's talk about uh, optimizing optimizing gut health to 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 really uh, drive it home strong in the end here. So. You know, maybe organic foods. Uh, what are your general, you know, X amount of serves of vegetables, protein intake, some fat intake. Do you, do you put value in the, the, the polyunsaturated fatty acids? Let's give us a, our listeners a bit of a, an overview of, of uh, Jay Carter's uh, gut health uh, optimizer. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so it'd be hard for me to generalize because of the different aspects what what people may have sure. but I'll, I'll try just to make some very um, regress points so first Perfect. of all we want to make sure we, we are getting the, the nutrients in and if someone's got any digestive issues just play it safe you know FODMAP free kind of vegetables that's going to be great yep. and we want preferably like a two to one ratio of vegetables to any meat or protein which okay. is going to be beneficial excellent another one is um, with, with gut-related issues, we could leave it like, you know, we don't have to be slamming down all these meals. Like, if we're talking solely about gut health, which we have to understand, if we have poor gut health, we will have a decreased ability to recover or perform. So maybe we have to take a step back in terms of regulating our protein synthesis, and maybe we should push the meals probably about four hours, maybe even up to six hours mm. apart, depending on the severity, just to stimulate that migrating motor complex, just to help our, our body's management of um, the of the own bacteria inside it, and just have better regulation and homeostasis there. And then we we got to understand right, we got to chew our fucking food and stop swallowing mm. it whole. Yeah. And then again, having our own eating zone away from our work zone is always a good practice um, if you can try not to drink a shit ton of water or fluids with the meal some people say oh you gotta leave it like 30 minutes before and 60 minutes after so you don't dilute the HCL don't put a time straight on it because you're just gonna stress yourself just try not to drink water with the food uh, with the food stay hydrated before if you know you got a meal drink some water rest a bit then have your meal because also you're not going to have any mixed signals between am I thirsty or am I hungry you know, you're going to have better regulation over that most people over consume food simply because they're thirsty yeah. and then other factors would be um, you know fat, fats, are, fats are good given that we can digest them if someone has a bile insufficiency then we want to support this because when we consume fat it releases CKK and that will help with the release of bile and bile isn't just for breaking down fat but we need to keep that regulation there and healthy so you know eating a balanced diet is going to be key because we do need the fiber we do need the starches we need the sugars we need the polyphenols we need the protein we need the fats um so if someone does have issues with digesting fats they could go for more mcts so coconut yep. you know that's going to be great um and then try not to eat too late at night the, the studies now state that if you have the same caloric volume in the day and you eat the majority from morning to midday as opposed to midday to night, you actually have a decreased body fat, uh, body fat percentage uh, and the, a better retention of LBM if you consume the calories in the first portion of the day because the food won't be affecting your melatonin response or bioscaling rhythm. Um, Very good. I think they're the main ones, you know, and, and again, don't underestimate um, your spices, your herbs and spices. So if you do have IBS or digestive issues, maybe try uh, fresh um, oregano, fresh thyme, you know, that's going to be great. If you have any inflammatory issues, if, if you have like IBD 
or um, if you have maybe even psoriasis or eczema, try having more turmeric, more ginger, because they're going to help to really assist with the regulation of COX2, just help that uh, prevent that inflammation from being hypervigilant. And, and yeah, just, just cook awesome. real food. You know? Really good. And I suppose that in there as well, take the time to cook the food, the cephalic phase, cephalic phase, like you said. Um, what about uh, some uh, protein? What, what are your protein recommendations uh, for across the board? Do you have some numbers you like to work off? And do you have a fat recommendation as well? Okay. So for the protein, it depends if the, first of all, is the individual female or male? And then what's their training age? What's their LBM? Are they assisted? Because yep. those factors will change. And then there's the sixth one, which is what is important during this podcast today, is what's their HCL status like? Because if you do the typical, you know, the, the functional medicine baking soda challenge test, where they have a quarter teaspoon of baking soda, give it about two to three minutes, see if they burp, if they don't burp, uh-oh, maybe you got low HCL. I mean, again, a subjective test, but... You know, it can resonate with, do you have any upper abdominal bloating? Do you have uh, indigestion? Do you have difficulties digesting protein? If so, then we need to lower that protein intake slightly just to help the body actually utilize it. But there's the studies, um, some studies, again, it's mixed review of the studies, right? Mm. But generally I'd go 1.8 to 2.2 with males. And I'd yeah. go uh, 1.8 to 1.6 in females. But then I use those different questions to gauge their their um, intake you know so yeah. if, if the individual does have upper abdominal bloating then okay possibly low HCL do they have vertical ridges in their fingernails do they have weak fingernails because if the, the fingernails are brittle it could be a zinc deficiency and if they have low HCL then they have poor assimilation of zinc so do we need to bring that protein down ever so slightly about 10% maybe then we, would we support protein yes certainly it's not just a matter of taking for instance um, HCL because we need to assist with the repair of the parietal cells to actually produce it. So we need zinc carnosine there, or maybe some gentan root if the person has issues with HCL. And then as for, as for the fats, um, we you know we'd assess their bile sufficiency um, because we could we could go right. You know, do, do they have any uh, infraspinatus pain, any pain, uh, muscle knots or adhesions around the scapula? You know, which would be on the the, the gallbladder line in the TCM, or do they have a um, uh, a mucosal film on the water after passing a stool? Do they have poor cognition after consuming fats? If so, let's support their digestion of fats with, say for instance, ox bile or um, rosemary or dandelion. And let's probably implement more MCT-based fats, which are going to be easier on the digestive system and probably reduce it down by 10% if it was severe. And uh, to wrap up fats there, fish oils, uh, do you you like to utilize uh, some fish oil? Yeah, I don't really go, right, so with fish oil, I generally don't go over six grams because if you go over six grams, it can be immunosuppressive because we do need inflammation as part of the repair cascade. You know, it's the inflammation which goes in, sends out that uh, cellular um, signaling to say, look, there's the shit here which we need to recover and repair. So we do need inflammation to a degree. So if over six grams, you know, I may do that short term. Let's say if someone's uh, obese, um, I, I would push it up to, the typical typical grams per percentage of body fat, but only for a week or two, just to reduce any dyslipidemia, improve that membrane health, you know, yeah. and uh, reduce that inflammation. And then I bring it down just to six grams per day. Okay, very good. I think we're uh, similar uh, in, in our recommendations there. That's good. I got the, the Jay Carter seal of approval with my fish oil recommendations, Tommy. Very good, <laughs> yeah. mate. Mm-hmm. Keep recommending away. Well, I think yes. that's a very nice... Uh, 
little summary. I mean, if a synopsis. You, uh, look, even if you just tick these boxes, Rod, look at that. You know, low FODMAP diet. Tick. Two to one uh, ratio of veggies to protein. Good that's stuff. A great yep. idea. Assessing meal frequency. Mm. Well, you know, I think that's valid for for lots of people. Well, you know, unless you're really driving the the hypertrophy, you need to feed that fractional synthetic rate. I think yeah. that's you can. And, and look, I, I will chime in there and say I certainly do that. I function a lot better on you know four to six hours apart. We'll have one yeah. early, one for lunch, one for dinner. That works well. Uh, I just find my digestion's better. Yeah, I agree with that. Look, optimizing the cephalic phase of digestion, we've spoken mm. about that, but building mm, yes, the nice... cephalic phase. <laughs> Get that zucchini out and yes. uh, really caress that zucchini before you chop it to pieces. Um, but building some rituals around the eating process, mm. I really like that one. Yep. Uh, reducing water intake with the meal, not to dilute the HCL, I think that's good. I like Tick. that one. Easy uh, to do. Just having a well-balanced diet. I mean, we could put that one right at the top, but that's uh, that crazy. Makes, makes perfect sense. Thought. Eating less at night. Uh, I was actually going to ask him when you said that, Jake. What are your thoughts on the time-restricted eating? Actually, only eating all of your calories within a smaller window of time. I know that's getting a bit of bit of buzz at the moment. Okay, so uh, what in terms of like, let's say intermittent fasting? Just that uh, you consume all your calories within. I think it's a ten-hour period in the day. I'm not sure if you right. heard anything about that. But you can have multiple sittings of food in that time. Just yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, everyone's individual, right? Yeah. So, it, the the if you have the best diet in the world, but that person can't follow it because of their work schedule, then it's pointless. So if someone can't eat, and unless it's in this specific ten-hour time frame, then by 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 all means, go ahead. You know. But in terms of um, digestion, yes, it can be good because when you're not eating there for the for the other 14 hours, you will be stimulating MPK, you will be st- stimulating autophagy, you'll be stimulating you know, PGC1-alpha, all these different processes in the body which will help with cellular repair or your efficiency of your metabolism, which would then have a byproduct on actually enabling you to utilize your substrates more effectively, uh, along with reducing inflammation and so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, as a, as a direct approach, it's, it's what this person requires, you know, and that's why you have to assess them because I wouldn't necessarily say this met- methodology is perfect for this person because I, I'd have to understand them, understand their lifestyle, mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. their health complaints, understand their goal, you know, because let's say, right, okay, let's say someone doesn't have any digestive issues and they're, they're, they're super sweet with the digestive function, but their goal is to increase size and the lean. Well, that's not really going to be the best for them, right? Yeah, but if true. someone's if someone's fucked, okay, and they, they have to eat within this 10-hour period, then that's okay. But it also depends on what food are they eating. What's their, yeah. what's their caloric intake? Is it a deficit or a surplus? Because that's yeah. still going to fucking have an effect. Yeah, ultimately. Mm. Very good, very yeah, good. Yeah, very good. And then uh, much maligned, but the old fresh herbs and spices. Don't underestimate them, Tommy. And I suppose that on top of there is also, uh, from what you said at, at, at the top there, you know, if possible, organic all the way. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, if, if people, because that can put a lot of stress into individuals, right? Because a lot of people may not be able to afford this. Mm. So if, you, if you're consuming the dirty dozen, then please go for organic. If you can't go for organic because of your financial situation, please find an alternative. Okay? That's, that's, that's just, it's not, it's not a, um, a rule, but it's a preferential kind of thing to go by. But then if you're eating the Clean 15, you don't necessarily have to go for organic. Now, this is just looking at organic in terms of toxic load and the, the pesticide, because we understand that, okay, organic food has got more antioxidants in. And not just that, but satiety yeah. isn't just mediated by caloric volume. 
but it's uh, mediated by nutrient volume. So if we eat more organic food, it has more nutrients, therefore we can have faster induction of uh, satiety and therefore we'll consume less food. Very good. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, Rawdon, looking actually at, uh, I mean, that is really just one little bullet point on uh, a large amount of material that Jake has got included in his um, level one and two functional nutrition courses. There's so much good stuff there. Jake, if people want to find out more about you, work online, uh, explore all your courses, above. all that kind of stuff, how do they get in contact, mate? Uh, the, the best way to get in contact will be through my website, coachjakecarter.com. But in regards to content, um, I, I generally post more on Instagram than Facebook. So, And again, that's Coach Jake Carter. Absolutely perfect. And there are rumors of a, of a tour down under at some stage. Uh, it, <laughs> we're looking like uh, getting you uh, on, our, on our shores anytime soon, mate. Yeah, I mean, it's something what I definitely... Would love to do. I've always wanted to go to Australia, especially from living in Manchester. It's just yeah. one big cloud. Yeah. Well, <laughs> of course, when, when you yeah. do come down under, Jake, you'll, you won't leave. You'll go set up camp down at Bondi. You know, you'll be sunbaking through the day, working on your laptop. Uh, you'll love it down here. Yeah, I, I really think I will. <laughs> I will. A- absolute yeah. pleasure. Been a long time coming, mate. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the program today, and we look forward to. Uh, I know that it was just tip of the iceberg for you. Maybe exploring a few other. Uh, different topics in the future mate if you're up for it yes certainly and I'd like to thank you both for allowing me to come on Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it thank you good on you mate I'm sure you have a very productive day with uh, the (laughs) modafinil he's going to have the modafinil crash (laughs) it's going to crash anytime soon we better wrap it up now okay mate talk to you again (laughs) soon enjoy the rest of your day thanks Jake thank you take care Well, that was uh, really enjoyable. Yep. And um, I'll just Very, get the. I don't details. think you'll come across anyone that's uh, more passionate about uh, what he. No, he, he looks incredibly know, passionate, and you can just tell that if you were to head along to those uh, any of his functional nutrition uh, seminars, mm, mm. it would just be jam packed. Yeah. Uh, guaranteed, he would have had a modafinil beforehand as well, <laughs> so it'll be one of those uh, yeah. note taking environments. But he has a functional nutrition level one and level two. Yeah. Um, level two gets f- much more into uh, blood markers, uh, and oh. a bit more into the hormones. Yep. 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 Uh, new- neurotransmitter pathways, all this kind of stuff. So functional biometric tools and all these kinds of things we might have to get him get we him back, get mate, him back uh, on. you know to go to, uh, through that uh, the more detailed topics yes. of this level too and at the end there mate when i mentioned the time restricted eating mm-hmm. as opposed to the intermittent fasting the the distinction there is they're both very similar in their application the time restricted eating is is pushed by a biomedical scientist dr ronda patrick in the states okay and it's basically She's saying that metabolic enzymes are working on a 12-hour kind of window. And so anything you have at the start, the first thing you have at the start of the day that's not water, so a supplement, caffeine, a tea, anything that requires processing by the liver starts these enzymatic uh, metabolic enzymes and they sort of are optimally working for 10 to 12 hours. So you try and pack all your food within that time frame. Okay. So just a little, very similar to intermittent fasting, but just a slightly different spin. Interesting. A bit of, interesting. A bit of method to the madness. Yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify cool. that one. And okay. that's pretty much everything, Rawdon. So that was it. So we got the, we mentioned the, again, the Evil Genius product, the uh, 
Yep, EvilGeniusDownUnder.com with, for the yep. free module. Free module. Excellent. Oh, mate. That was, a big one. Uh, that was a big one. <laughs> that was a big one. That was a big one.